Okay, so good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining this week's MediaWorks Digital Drop-In. Um, so the uh, this is this is 39th digital drop-in that we've done in the last four months, which seems pretty crazy since we started these um, in, in April or so. Um, today's topic is going to be uh, relaunching your website and avoiding a migration disaster. Um, there'll be a lot of people on the on the sort of call today who no doubt have experienced some of this firsthand. There'll be some of you who are planning new website launches or, or amendments in the future. And I think, you know, for probably 13, 14 years since we've been established as an agency, this has been one of the single biggest um, threats and, and impacts we've seen on a, on a business, not just e-commerce businesses, you know, B2B lead gen businesses where literally, you know, overnight, you can pretty much destroy 10, 20 years investment in your website through just not migrating your website effectively. Um, so we've been doing this for a long time, uh, nationally, internationally, cross-sector, B2B, B2C. So we've got a lot of experience to share, and, and hopefully this will be a lot of value for everybody today. Um, Andy, like I say, and, and Kev um, will pick out the five key areas we think you should be aware of if you're planning any web changes, um, like I say, whether that's a full-scale rebuild or whether that's just kind of a smaller incremental development. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the panel today, so I've mentioned me, me, myself, I'm Brett Jacobson, I'm founder and CEO of MediaWorks. Uh, we've got Andy Blankensop, who's our creative director. Morning, everybody. Um, Andy heads up all of our design, build, UX, development side of the business, so is very much kind of hands-on front end from, from that element. Um, we've also got Kev Strong, who's our head of search. All right. Kev is the one who usually goes over and tells Andy to rip a few holes in this part of the website, tear a few there. Kev's kind of the building inspector and the architect, and Andy's the guy laying the bricks and, you know, making sure that the thing doesn't fall down. Um, so, you know, if you haven't got this kind of input and you haven't got um, digital marketing experts inputting on these web builds and web design and development migration early as possible, that's where problems can happen. Um, and yeah, so let's just get cracking. So top five things we're going to talk about. So the first thing we're going to look at, um, probably come to Kev first, is, is looking at um, how to kind of avoid incorrect planning and, and communication. You know, these are sometimes, you know, lots of different stakeholders involved in these projects. You know, you've got marketing and you've got um, buying and you've got procurement and you've got executives and you've got all these different people with different areas that, that they want to input into these web launches. Um, the first thing you got to do is just just make sure you're planning effectively. Kev, kind of, what's the the key problems we see creeping at this very first early stage, if not done properly? I think um, doing a website launch, you know, people kind of think of the migration part of it as like the afterthought. It's kind of the the part that everyone's focused on the new. They're not thinking about you know how they're actually going to launch it. So I think you know having a structure and like a timely project plan, like like you said there, you know you need to plan this out. You need to help with the new structure. You need to order steps to sort of protect the existing authority that the site's got. Ultimately, you want them to, to maintain the traffic, maintaining everything that the current website's got, but you need to be planning that website and, and having the migration plan from the start of conception right the way through to the actual delivery of the website and, and onwards as well. Um, I mean, Andy knows more than, more than, uh, more than anyone, you know, getting the, the key inputs, I think, from, from areas. Um, do you want to share anything on that, Andy? Yeah, I think, so when we put together a project plan, I think the, the biggest kind of um, feeling would be to think that the migration starts, starts 
at the end of a project. And what we try to do throughout any project that we do, we get stakeholders involved as early as possible. You know, and and Kev, anybody, yourself or anybody from the team, we will try and uh, get kind of feed feed kind of your information in the project as early as possible. But then I think what we know that as, as a web project, as I said, a big one or a small one, can have lots of moving parts. And there's lots of opportunities where I could potentially fall away from that plan. And it's the idea is to keep checking in with the SEO. You know, when, when you define the site structure, get input from the technical SEO guys to help us, to help think about how it's going to be migrated. When we start looking at optimizing content, run it by the SEO because the campaign is going to be very targeted and URLs will have a specific part to play. So making sure, you know, the guy, an SEO expert will feed into that. During the technical build, you know, there's so many things that a developer, unfortunately, could get wrong. And without having a close relationship with the technical expert, like Kev or someone in the team, then you're opening yourself up for, for problems. Um, and then even at the end, you know, when we go through the migration plan, staying close to your, to your SEO to make sure and to monitor and track in case anything goes wrong is absolutely kind of key. So I think it's, it's about that collaboration with the right people as early on and, and keeping both parties involved throughout the whole process. Yeah, I think, um, and Kev, I think things like you've mentioned there, looking at obviously the, the first place people need to really start, I suppose, is their existing websites. What what specifically kind of areas are you looking at when you're involved in one of these projects? What are the key, I mean, Amelia in a question there has flagged a couple of areas of, you know, old URLs, old product URLs, kind of, you know, new, new areas of a new site structure that might be coming that aren't involved in the old site. Um, kind of what what are the sort of key areas you're looking at of the old site before this project starts? Yeah, I think that that's the, the key thing is it, it's a migration, it's, it's a new website, but you've got to look at the old stuff, you know, what's the foundation, what's the content that's currently on the website that's working well, what's the structure that's working well, and more importantly, what learnings can you get that that isn't working so well? So one thing that we always recommend doing is we, we recommend sort of auditing all of the content that's on the website, um, all of the pages, understand the structure of the site and how it's working well, um, and ultimately what you want to retain. And, you know, that gives you a great idea of what works well, but it also gives you an even better idea of what you're missing and what you need to be adding to the website. So I think auditing your existing website and, and you know, just peeling back a couple of layers to say, you know what, we're not that precious about this old website as much as we used to be. What can we actually change and what can we make better? And things like um, just for specifically with URLs or there's product lines that people or services that might not be taking, how do they make sure they protect some of that value, Kev? Is, you know, are you 301 and everything? When would you not 301 something and redirect some value? So, yeah, I mean, that the, the technical side of things is like, if, if there's a service line that you, you know, you're going to retire, um, you still want to, basically anyone who had a reference to that URL, whether it's Google, whether it's a user, the, the need to, to get back to the website. Ideally, you'd want to be 301 and redirect into you know, key categories, like relevant categories, like for like categories, or to the homepage. Ultimately, any old URL that you had on the website that previously existed, you would probably want to 301. Um, there's very few cases where you wouldn't really want to do that. Um, but fundamentally, each URL has its own sort of level of authority. So you want to pool all of that authority together and, you know, pass that on to the new website. So focusing on the, on, I suppose, the key thing there, then just to wrap that point up is audit your content, see the content that's performing well. You might not, you know, if you've got a thousand blogs on your site, 
if 395 of them have not had a visitor in nine months, you probably, you know, might not see the value in, you know, doing the lift and shift and the heavy lifting and moving all that content across if people aren't finding it valuable anymore. Um, there might be a place for an archive, there might be a place for another across, but start with your content and then think about the URL structure. Think about the new site structure from the old site structure. How is that going to differ and in which areas are going to be rerouted into, into new areas? Um, which I think another key point that people forget very early on and can make mistakes is not keeping the, the whole business informed again. You know, things like your PPC team, you know, we've had we've had instances where we've we've been managing the, the paid search for an account and in that team hasn't been aware that a new website change is coming. Someone's relaunched a new website and, you know, 6,000 URLs have changed and nobody told the PPC team who are directing ads to specific URLs. So I think, I think you know, these kinds of situations, if you've got affiliate teams, paid social teams, obviously any agencies such as MediaWorks that are, that are engaged with those, um, shopping feeds, you know, pretty much anybody who touches that website needs to be part of that initial discussion um, and, and, and ha- ha- put those considerations in place. Um, so the next area I think obviously we've kind of dovetailed into there is, is content. So carefully planning um, what that content's going to look like on the new site. And, and like I said, watch which content you're going to bring across from the old site and why. Um, Andy, do you want to kind of talk about how we help or what we would recommend people do to understand that? Yeah, I, look, look, when we're trying to create a new website and we're, we're thinking very much more around kind of customer journeys, what content should be present, what content do we need? We have touched, uh, touched on that there, identifying content gaps, you know, unless you will be involved. And as we move to a new website, we're going to create new ranking URLs. We're going to write new content that's optimized, and I think as we as you grow this the size of a website, it's absolutely essential to to remember what previous pages you had were optimized for certain things. Because the last thing you want to do is build a website but create conflict and start creating different URLs that are going to conflict. And if you have, you know, you create help and advice section over here where you, you you're talking about a very specific problem, but that content already exists over here on the blog. So it gets back to, as you said, but map your existing content strategy. But when you go and propose a new one and you look at new areas to explore, try and avoid duplication where possible because, you know, we want one URL to rank for one set of keywords and that's where we focus our energy. So, again, when we go out and, and we use, you know, search tools to research new content areas, it's bringing it back to the SEO to ensure that it's structured correctly and we avoid making silly mistakes like kind of duplication of on-site content yeah totally and kev i mean andy makes a good point there but in terms of is there any tools out there that anybody you know listening today could be using to kind of i'm conscious some people will have you know huge websites you know hundreds if not maybe thousands of pages um what 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 kind of tools would we recommend you know that people could use to kind of firstly just scrape your website and really understand what you have got there to play with before you start planning what you're keeping and what you're not yeah, I think um, that that's the key. It's um, a preferred tool that we use is a tool called Screaming Frog. Um, it basically crawls your website like Google would, but fundamentally, it retains all the information on the website from the URLs to the title tags, the meta descriptions, the H1s. It's almost like a snapshot of, of your current website. And what this allows you to do is create a, sort of a a tree structure or at least a hierarchy of your current website of how it's currently laid out. Um, it stops you having to manually do it. It saves a ton of time, but it, it ultimately gives you that sort of benchmark and that foundation of what was on the old website, what's going to stay and what's going to 
sort of be removed from the new website. So I think using tools like that, you know, it, it's key. Um, you can also use um, Google Search Console as well to get um, a list of URLs. You can download all of that data. So that's sort of directly from Google as well. So there's a couple of sources you can use. Um, but yeah, I'd use Screaming Frog um, as, a, as a standard tool just to, to sort of crawl the website and get all the URLs as a starter for 10. And then, Kev, what's the advice kind of once people have, have, have crawled that site, they understand what the current structure looks like and they're kind of planning where that needs to go, how do we sort of help clients at the moment structure their website and content correctly? What, what's the thought process for me to be focusing around? So... If you're in luck, your old website will be structured in a way that was led by search. Nine times out of 10, it's not. So what we try to do is we try to look at um, service offering, but also what's happening from a search intent perspective. So what type of content do you need to have on your website? What kind of structure do you need to have? Um, so we basically audit um, a client, not um, not just from sort of a website um so current standard, we also look at it from a business perspective as well. Um, so we plan structure, we um, categories, subcategories, and we look at um, informational um, content. We look at a whole host of different things. But fundamentally, um, we look at the search volume and the search intent of users who are actually looking for services and looking for products. Yes, there might be um, things like, you know, naming convention. You know, you as a business might call one thing, um, or you know, service one thing, but Joe Blogs is actually calling it something else. So again, that can lead into the site structure. It can lead into you know one page becoming ten pages because there's a, a raft of information. So yeah, there's um, ultimately the, the the structure and the the content is is key for for doing that. And I think a lot of what we're saying there as well is in in, in I think uh, it's one one of the custom, one of the participants mentioned about keywords there. Key- Mm-hmm. reviewing the kind of searches and the demand that you're seeing for your products will help inform a lot of this. So are people searching by color? You know, are people searching by material? Are people searching by location? You know, all of these different things, if you're seeing in your keyword research from your SEO that people are searching for, you know, large red, you know, leather corner sofas, well then those are the attributes that you need to start thinking about architecting your content around. Think about, you know, you're going to need to have an area around color. We're going to need to have an area around size, material, you know, because the more, the better we can structure our content to match the search query, the more you know, targeted that content's going to be and the, the, the likelier and easier it's going to be to rank that content across Google. Um, and I think, again, things like geography, you know, if you're a service business, are people searching for, you know, Newcastle or London or Canary Wharf or, you know, Scotland or wherever you might be. But think about that geography when you're, you're orchestrating your kind of lead gen sites. So I think keywords play a massive part in that. And I think really understanding that keyword research that an SEO agency or team can bring to you will help you spot those content gaps Andy mentioned that maybe at present aren't being serviced in your current site structure. So whatever you do, don't ever just take your existing site structure and replicate it. There's always opportunities to expand on that, build it out, and and tap into these little content gaps and opportunities you might not already be hitting. Um, That kind of probably takes us into that plan for content growth, Andy, and, and thinking about where you can take a site. Obviously, the bigger a website is, the more content you've got, the more opportunities you've got to rank, the, the more you know questions you can answer for the search engines, and the, generally the better experience it is for users. Yeah, I think there's so many different ways to like you know you, going 
go back, but it used to optimize content with an H1 limited description. Like Google's way more clever than that now. So optimizing your content takes a lot more thought than that. You know, there's different content types. You know, the video is a fantastic kind of way to improve rankings because Google loves video engagement. It's a fantastic way to create engagement on page. So look for ways to create more unique content that is going to aid it's going to aid your visibility from a search perspective, but it's definitely going to help improve experience. And Kev, something that I wanted to kind of just throw in the mix there is we talk about expanding um, a site structure and adding depth to it, which is brilliant. But I think people should definitely have a, a keen kind of focus on consolidating content. You know, we're spending an awful lot of time trying to look at and explore new ways to create informational kind of led content, create content that adds value and helps customers convert. But, you know, there's a... a, a you, you see certain websites where they'll, they'll hang on to a little bit of a, of a search query around a question and just put 50 words on a web page and think that it's going to automatically rank. It's not. You have to be way more clever and clever in the way that you architect that content and almost group questions together to create nicer long-form pieces of content, which is going to have a lot more authority in the search engine. So I think as much as we look to expand, consolidating content can have a huge impact on visibility and and, and a better experience on site instead of people navigating multiple URLs. So categorization is, is a big thing for, for us at the minute, what we've been doing with clients. Yeah, I think, the, I suppose, just jumping in, in answering the final part of uh, Amelia Marzen's question as well earlier, because it was it was a very good question, Amelia, and covers most of, most of today. But um, the final element there around that is is that customer journeys and figuring out, you know, what are the, if, if someone wants to understand what are their key customer journeys? What are the key, um, what are the key sort of routes to through the site from from homepage to conversion, or people landing deeper in the site to conversion? What's the easiest way for people to visualize that, guys? How are we doing that, Andy, and obviously graphically, or for the people there, and then Kev, maybe technically. Um, graphically, how? I mean, that's a it's, it's a it's a lovely experience, isn't it? Get in a room and just mapping the ideal. What would be the optimum kind of experience from start to finish? And, looking at touch points. So we, you know, it used to be a post-it note, but we're using online tools like a tool called Mira at the minute, which if you look at that, it's fantastic. You can, in real time, build empathy maps, you can build customer journeys, you can you can kind of throw comments and collaborate. So if you've got multiple stakeholders that want to feed in, Mira is a great tool to do that, but it's where we start off. We think, what is that customer journey? But I think what you have to always consider is how did it start? You know, if we do a good job here, not everybody lands on a homepage, right? So you have to think on that journey, there's going to be multiple entry points and it's not as linear as people think. You know, people will come back multiple times. They'll go further down the funnel, they'll come back out. So things like Mira, where you can literally create a web and then look for all of the opportunities to expand and add conversions is a, is a, a brilliant tool um, that we're using a lot with clients. That's a really good point, Andy. I think, you know, when we're speaking to a lot of clients and, and when they're embarking on these projects, a lot of the times the very senior stakeholders who maybe don't appreciate, you know, um, the real inner workings of, 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 of digital at times, in some instances, do imagine that this is just a straightforward process where you kind of walk through a front door, you take these really three really nice, easy steps, and then you get to where you're going. Obviously, we appreciate, and a lot of people in the call and marketers will appreciate that, people are entering your site and they're landing on your site from a hundred different directions. So you've got to be thinking about, like you say, capturing those people in, in, in as, as few a standard a funnel as possible and quickly rooting them to where they need to be and making sure that no two journeys might be the same. So you need to account for that. 
Kev, is it from an analytics perspective, can people, how easy is it for people and where would they find kind of data on this kind of thing to, to, to readily kind of review and look at? So in, in analytics, you can get um, sort of your page paths. So you can see sort of where people are landing from a landing page perspective, whether that's through organic, through paid or whatever. But you can basically see the next page path that a user will um, sort of navigate to on the website. Um, that is a great way of spotting um, any anomalies because exactly like you said, Brett, you know, people think it's going to be front door, then into the, you know, into the, the hallway, then into the living room, whatever. It's... That, you know, people just don't navigate websites that way, um, especially with mobile. There's a totally different experience from a mobile than there is for a desktop. So um, using analytics, um, using the landing page and the page path URLs, that's that that's key for that. Um, and, you know, ask your staff, actually ask your own employees how they find stuff on the website. One of the key things that, that Andy mentioned there is obviously from a, from a visual aspect is, you know, long form content, you know, adding video. Um, Ask your customer support team what type of questions they get. You know, are people ringing up for your service and asking the same question over and over and over again? One, it's going to chew time. And two, you know, you can actually answer that on the website and become an authority. You know, we've got a, a client who does printing stuff. Um, they constantly get questions about sizing, about, you know, material, about, you know, lots of, lots of fundamental things that um, their, their customer service team just know the answer to put it onto the website and create an authority for, for that. Um, so again, just finding out uh, you know, what, what people are doing on the website, but also finding out how people are using the website as well. We can also do surveys from a conversion rate optimization perspective. There's, there's a whole raft of different things that we can do. Okay, yeah, so content is absolutely key, guys, I think, in, in mapping that across, understanding what you've got, what you need, and how you kind of transition that, that over. And that should be fairly straightforward for people, I think, if they get the process right. I suppose one of the, the big, horrible, hairy part of it is the technical side of these things. And this is kind of when a, a web developer or a designer or somebody who maybe isn't as au fait with those SEO rules and Google's regulations and whatnot might leave a side gate open that, you know, suddenly just tanks your entire two decades worth of investment. So... Kev, talk to us about technical implementation of the website, you know, migration and, and, and what the key parts are there people need to think about. So I think uh, we've, we've touched on a couple of points um, and we've mentioned um, sort of redirections, particularly 301s and 302 redirects. Um, from, a, from a technical aspect, what they basically mean is a 301 is a way of saying to Google, I've moved my URL. It's, it's like moving house. It's like, you know, getting your mail redirected. Google knows that you live at this URL, but you've actually changed and moved to this URL. Um, so it's our way of basically saying to Google, look, I've moved it, update your records and tell people who are searching from a Google perspective that we've moved. What that also does is that also retains any previous link building that you've done to those URLs. Over time, you know, like, like Brett said, that it's scary that people have you know, been investing for like 20 years in, in online marketing. You know, URLs are going to have authority from, you know, big websites. So we need to pass that authority over as quickly as possible to the new URLs. So one of the processes that we, we do do, and it is, you know, it is a time intensive um, task to do it, but it is one of the most important is mapping that URL out, mapping your old site structure and implementing a 301 redirect list for that moves over to the new URL. So, you know, addresses page used to live over here. It now lives on this URL. You've got to do that for pretty much every URL on your website. Um, 
One things that you know, one of the things that we, we do recommend not doing is is doing it on what we call a three or two redirect, um, which is a temporary version. So that's um, Google's way of saying that you've moved it temporarily. It works for the user. So if I was to go on a website and I followed that URL, I'd still see the new website, but Google will see it, but it won't update its records. So you know you've you've put yourself back a couple of weeks, a couple of months, um, because the web developers have used the wrong sort of status code effectively. Um, I mean, I could I could spend an hour talking about things that web developers have done wrong for a web migration, but you know things like flat redirect, making sure that like I've seen like I've cried internally, I've cried externally as well when I've seen a web developer redirect an entire ten thousand page website to the home page of the new URL. You've basically just said pass everything to this and then start again. Like that's the kind of thing that we need to avoid. So, you know, things like redirects from HTTP to HTTPS, going through multi-redirect, it, it just slows Google down massively. So there's lots of little things that, that we would recommend not doing on that one. I think Kev, there's also, um, th people can do double hops and this is, not yeah. a, this is not a dance move. This is a technical <laughs> term um, where, where basically, you know, you might, you've maybe, I don't know, you bought a business that was, you know, smiths.co.uk and you've, you've redirected that to johnsons.co.uk and then actually you, you rebrand again as, you know, johnsonspaints.co.uk or whatever. I, I've just used that because it was the first Johnsons someone I could think of. But then suddenly you're redirecting one website into another website, into another website, and you're diluting that value and authority every time. So what you'd want to do is then break that link and then 301 redirect that into the new site. So effectively, it's kind of like a mothership with lots of, lots of other ships coming up and you're not creating a daisy chain, so to speak. Yeah, exactly that. And I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. Ultimately, we're trying to speed it up for Google to, to get to the end point as quickly as possible. You know, it's going to pass authority from, I can't even remember those examples that you gave us there. But yeah, like smith.co.uk to, to Johnson's, you know, that, that has to happen. And then you're going to have to do it for the other URL. Um, it happens more often than not, mainly because of, of client acquisition or client rebranding. Um, and it's no good just taking your old redirect file and putting it on the new server. You do have to break that down um, and, and you know work work it work it out. It happens quite a lot with replatforms as well. When you know someone changes a website every two years and then it lands on sort of my desk where it's like, oh yeah, we've had like three previous um, SEO agencies doing the redirects and not one of them have broken that down. And Google's having to go through four five six redirects to get to the new one it slows down user experience as well yeah 100 percent. i think the next one and i know we've had a question from keely wilkinson which is we launched a new website earlier this year without any key support advice visits etc have dropped right off our budget is relatively small where should we start site audit using ga to review traffic content i think 100 i think andy your point you come on to next around you know robots.txt i think is a, is a key area for someone like keely to be reviewing i think you know, a lot of what we said earlier around look at, you know, pre-launch, if you've migrated your analytics code across, if you look at pre-launch and post-launch and look at the the pages that were driving the most traffic versus what's driving traffic now, you'll very quickly see the pages where you've caused all the issues. And it might be like Kev says that you've not 301 redirected, you know, you've, you've lost all that value, you've lost those rankings or the content hasn't been moved across, which was really popular previously. You've maybe not migrated a blog content or you've, you've, you've you know, reduced a product offering or a service offering that used to rank really highly in Google that now doesn't rank at all. It, you know, could be, could be a number of things, but I think Andy, robots.txt as well. We've seen some horror stories with these. 
Yeah, so the robots, and I know why Kev's put this one on me, it's robots dot text. Like, it's, it's, it's huge, you know, we, we, you have to be very tactful for where you deploy it. Deploy it on a search results page. There's certain things you do know on Google to index, and that's why you use that. But actually, you, when you talk about horror stories, so when, when you build a new website, migrate a new website, it means that you're building a new one somewhere else. And you do hear of developers not putting the robot.txt file on the development link. And the next thing you know, if you spend six months developing a new website and your development website starts ranking alongside your live website, is the first horror story can happen. So making sure that as you go through a development process, if you're all going to have different environments, just use robot.txt to pull away all of the work that you're currently working on. So when the time is right and the migration comes, you don't make Kev's job harder than it has to be. And then after that, it's about making sure that at launch, going through the whole technical kind of checklist that your SEO specialist should provide to make sure things like the, the .txt file is set up correctly because that could, and, and Keely, I don't think that, you know, you, you hate this to be the case, but that can have a detrimental impact on visibility beyond beyond belief. Yeah, so whilst you're, whilst you're developing a new website, make sure it's locked down, like Andy says. Make sure that robots that robots.txt file is kind of telling Google whether you want them to, or her it to crawl this website or not crawl it. You definitely don't want them crawling those development sites, like Andy says, because suddenly your, your half-built development site starts popping up when someone searches your, your brand in Google, which is, is horrific. But then equally, when you do launch it, some people forget to then open the door to Google and let it index your new site. So it's kind of keep it locked out and then let it in and make sure you do that at the right time or else you've got big, big problems. Um, I suppose the next, probably for me, the single most important technical investment that an e-commerce business can ever do um, to supercharge your business and your revenue and your growth and your sales, but equally probably one of the trickiest things to get right and the easiest things to get wrong is something called faceted navigation. Um, you know, we've been talking about this for over a decade, you know, and there's still people that we're introducing this to who, you know, are building multi-million pound retail websites and, and, and really don't consider it anywhere near as much as what they should. Um, Kev, do you want to just sort of talk through how, you know, firstly, I suppose, what the difference is between faceted and filtered navigation and then why that's so important when you get it right and how valuable it can be? Cool. Yeah. So I think... Um, Facet navigation is ultimately the categorization system in your CMS. So all that basically means to you and me is it's the ability to drill down in a category to a certain um, sort of aspect of, of, of the category. Um, so a faceted um, navigation is a URL that we want to be indexed by Google. Um, a filter is something that we don't want to be indexed by Google. So what that basically means as an example is you might have um, a boots page and then the next level of your facet would be black, would be a colour. Then it would be leather as a material, and then it might be a heel type. From a from a search and a Google aspect, that's basically created a page that's got um, boots, black, leather in a mid heel. So there's four options there. We need to optimise that content around that. So that that taps into the the search um, the search intent for users who've done their research and that they specifically want a certain type of product. So ideally from a user perspective, they're going to land on that page and they're going to convert better on that page because they're not just looking for boots. They don't want to land on a website and have to click all of the, the options to, to narrow their, their filter down. Um, so ultimately that facet is, is what we, we want people to land on. The filters are things where we don't want things to be indexed. Um, 
this is really hard without a diagram as well. <laughs> but ultimately, filters um, are um, things such as price grouping. You know, when you've got those little funky sliders where you've got like not to £100 as a price filter, Google can actually index each point of that. So it can do not to 100, 1 to 100, 2 to 100, 3 to 100, 4 to 100. That's basically creating multiple permutations of that content. And that's the key thing that everyone gets wrong with faceted nav is we ultimately want to give the users these landing pages that people can land on and get given a product range as quickly as possible. So it just comes down to price. But from a tech aspect, we also want to block that level of duplication as well. So we basically need to um, work with that robots.txt file uh, and some of the on-page crawling stuff as well um, to make sure that you know these facet pages, don't, the right facet pages get indexed. And it is a very daunting task when someone comes at you with a, a new website and says, right, I want to launch facets across 47 product ranges. It sounds daunting, but it's actually quite a simplistic approach if you do it the right way. You know, if you basically unlock certain parts of the website at certain times, lots of different approaches to, to, to do that. But ultimately, that facet nav system needs to be built in such a way that users can use it, Google can use it, and, you know, we're not creating duplication of, of content from that. Um, I think the, the, the big thing for me is implemented incorrectly is something as simple as having a URL. So you may have boots slash black slash leather. Even if you can swap that leather and that black around, you've created a different version of that URL. But that can just go on and on and on, and you'll have those permutations. So forcing that URL structure is key, um, allowing users to, um, to get to the URL is key. But fundamentally, um, having the ability to edit the content on that page is key. Like we have so many um, websites come across sort of um, our desk where it's like, oh, we've got faceted nav. Yeah, you've got the ability for, for people to, to find that URL, but it's using your main content category. So all you've done is create a duplication throughout your website as well. So it ultimately needs to come down to, 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 to the, the, the search volume to generate those facets, but just please just stop duplicating that content and duplicating those URLs. Yeah, so the, yeah, I think I think that's it. In a, in a nutshell, for me, it's kind of you know, there's a lot of people, sort of primarily more e-commerce businesses, where you know you've got your filters down the left-hand side. You're presented with a dynamic page which has all of your products here, and as you select filters, you know, men's jackets, brown. This is suddenly you know uh, dynamically refiltering to just show you the men's brown jackets. That's great from a user experience, but from Google's perspective, there's a thousand different products in there and you're just sort of dynamically showing the user what you want them to see. But from Google's perspective, they only see that one dynamic page. So they don't know what that page is about. They don't know where your men's brown jackets are. They don't know where your ladies' black boots are. They don't know where any of your specific static content is. Therefore, they can't rank you in the, in the search engines. And therefore, you've closed 10,000 doorways and opportunities for people to find you. If you do facets correctly, like Kev says, you know, you have a men's brown jackets page that is a static URL that only holds your men's brown jackets that Google can index, that we can optimize around men's brown jackets and make sure that it's as, as SEO targeted as possible. Google knows that, the user can find it and it's great. The problem is, like Kev says, again, if you don't lock that down and force that, that URL structure, you can suddenly have a brown jackets men page, a jackets brown man page, and suddenly you've got 10 billion URLs and Google just basically throws a grenade at your website and it dies. 
Um, so you have to do this thing right. If you do it right, you're opening up thousands of different new doorways to your website to make a hell of a lot more revenue and queries and leads. If you do it wrong, you could kill your website. This is where you need SEO specialists to advise you. Um, we've had a, a question come in there on from an anonymous study about we migrated our website to a new one a few months back, but Google seems to be taking a while to index our website and our rankings and visits have dropped significantly. How would you suggest we improve rankings and increase visitors? Again, Kev, I think if if people have not migrated across through the right 301 structures, then you know um, Google's going to be seeing a whole new set of content. If you you know if you went from a thousand existing pages to a thousand new pages, don't think just because you've built it that Google's going to index it. It's not, and if it doesn't see the value in it, it's only going to allocate a certain amount of crawl budget to your website. So it might only be crawling a hundred pages, and it might take three months to crawl another hundred pages. You'd use Google Search Console, Kev, to kind of slowly open this up to Google. Yeah, so I think um, yeah, that that's the key is um, you need to tell Google the new URLs. You know, Google's not going to discover it. Google's not going to um, understand the, the new website structure easily, especially if you haven't done three or ones. You know, if you've blocked it with robots.txt. So yeah, you basically need to create um, what we call an XML sitemap, which is a list of URLs, and submit that in Search Console. Um, Google will then basically um, get a bit of a head start and, and understand the, the URLs that are in there. Um, and then, yeah, what should happen from there is Google, all bit, you know, annoyingly for you, will be slowly updating its records to, to pass over the previous rankings. That is if you've got like-for-like -like content. So like we were discussing at the beginning there, if, you know, if you've removed an entire section of your website, yeah, you will lose rankings and you will lose traffic. So there's, there's a couple of steps that we discussed at the beginning that would probably help you um, with regards to that one. Yeah, I think so. there's a couple a couple more questions there popped in just while we're on the tech element. So uh, from Jamie Wilkie, we're in the process of building a new website. How many news blog articles should you migrate over? I suppose, Andy, do you want to pick that one up? I know we covered a bit of that earlier on, but... Yeah, I think just quickly, I think it's, um, you know, the more content, the better. Um, but, and it depends how easy that process is. If you move from one kind of CMS to another, where there's a whole manual kind of exercise of inputting it in, and your image sizes on page have changed, so you can't just upload the old images because it's all going to be pixelated. Then it is a bit of how do I prioritize that content? And I think we would always say, get into analytics, see which articles are actually dry, which are getting visits, which ones are driving traffic, which ones, because it might be a piece of content there that has a load of links coming back from a press release that you did, um, you know, five years ago. So I think see where the volume's coming and start at the top. Make sure you get all of your most valuable traffic driving blog posts sent across. And then you know, there will be aspects of that. There must be some quality content there some CSR work you might have been doing, you know, some really nice thought leadership around inspiration you might be doing. So go to the data, let the data tell you what to do. I think that would be your, and that's what we, we do everywhere, but that would be the first place I'll go, Jamie. I think you're right, Andy. Look at what, what blogs are driving the most traffic, Jamie. And then I think also run a backlink check on your website, which is probably something Kev would be, would be saying in, in a tool like Majestic or Mars or Ahrefs and basically see where you've got those valuable inbound links that you've built over time because you might have a blog article from two years ago that's got 100 links or 100 votes in Google's eyes. You definitely don't want to be leaving that behind and losing that. You want to be bringing that across. So those are the two key things. What's driving traffic and where are you getting your inbound link value from an SEO perspective? And I think Kev can then help, you know, you'll then expand on this, Kev, in terms of, and then the stuff you don't migrate across, redirect it into the new section. Just make sure that if you think anybody coming to that content, which doesn't exist anymore, where's the next best place you can send them? It's going to be the blog. 
Um, so I think just having a plan around the stuff you don't migrate is equally as important. Yeah, I suppose moving on to probably point four, I'm conscious of time, um, ensure search engines rank in new pages. So once we've we've got the content right, we've made the plan, we've got the content right, we've got the tech fixes in place, how do we make sure that if there is new areas of the website, Kev, and this, this probably ties into um, Keely's question before, how do we make sure that this new content gets indexed as effectively as possible from Google and, and, and gets ranking as fast as possible? So we basically have a like a, a launch checklist that, that we put in place for, for when the, the, the website goes live. So um, the key one for us is, um, which I've already mentioned, there's submitting your XML sitemap. Um, it's literally the, the newest list of pages that, that you have for the new website. You, when I say submit your XML sitemap, that's going to be through something like Google Webmaster Tools or Search Console um, or Bing um, Webmaster Tools as well. So if you haven't already, you know, verify the new site um, in there as well and submit the XML sitemap. What that'll do is that'll um, cause Google to, to crawl the new versions of the URLs. Um, if you've got 301s in place, which you should have, is Google will follow those 301s. Say that you've given a list of new URLs and it's going to go, ah, right, okay, there's actually a new website going live now and it's going to update its records. Um, if you've moved from an old domain and you've rebranded it to a new one, you can submit a, a, what we call a change of address for the old URL. So again, with all of the 301s in place, the new XML sitemaps, you're also telling Google that you've actually moved the domain as well. So again, that's given Google a signal um, that you know, you've moved the website. Um, then you can also um, sort of you can kind of force Google to, to come and visit your website as well. So you can do what we call a fetches Google, which is basically where you just get Google to inspect a new URL on the website. Um, and again, that'll cause Google to come and visit the website and crawl it. So it's, it's ultimately um, forcing Google to come to the website, take like standing outside the new shop and say, look, I've launched something new. Come inside, have a look. We want you to see the new website. You're not just sat there waiting for someone to come walking through the door. You're actually getting Google to come and see you. Um, that, that, that's really, really useful, Kevin. I think so many people forget to do that. They just think Google's kind of this all-knowing all oracle and it just knows when we've launched a whole new 100-part section of website. It doesn't, you know, and it's, and it's pretty busy. Even its machines are pretty busy. So we need to kind of tell them where to go, where to look. And I think such an easy, quick win that so many people forget. Um, Andy, we've got a, a couple of questions in, um, again, from Amelia Marzen, which might be useful for you to kind of answer in terms of, you know, what are the best things you've seen in a website brief that kind of help inform the agency? I know from, a, from an SEO perspective, Kev, I think things around, are you launching new product lines? Are you getting rid of any new product lines? You know, the last thing an agency wants to do is create this whole migration plan for this beast of a website here and then find out that half of it isn't coming with you or... And again, there's different considerations with that. I think, um, what, what do you think, Andy? What's the key things that people can be putting in these web briefs to help agencies? I think um, the last thing that we're, when we're, when we're going about a new website, what we're not trying to do is create another version of the same one you've got, just a better looking one of what you have. We're trying to add real value to your business here, right? And I think so what you've said there, Brett, is what, what are you trying to achieve as a business? That's all a, 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 a really good agency should care about at that stage. Commercial goals. Once we know what you're trying to do commercially as a business, the website has a job to match and align with that. So that's, for me, number one. And, this, and the second thing after that is um, an understanding of who your customers are, who are we trying 
find a target because what everything that we spoke about there in terms of intent and um, user behavior, customer journeys, that boils down right back to who is actually navigating the website. Because once we get an understanding of those individuals, then we know what kind of content we need to create. We need to, we can understand at what point in the purchasing journey, we can understand whether they are decision makers or influencers, and we can optimize towards them because it's only these customers and visitors that are gonna make us, give us the return that we need. So I think it starts with what you're trying to achieve. It starts, then it goes into your kind of customers. And then after that, um, then I suppose then the fun begins, doesn't it? Because then we can get into the creative process. You know, a lot of, along alongside those kind of commercial goals and, and, and who our customers are, will help determine what platform we go on. You know, if, you know, some sometimes you, you can see businesses that are currently utilizing any very specific e-commerce CMS. And then when we talk about trying to create a much more informational-led experience with depth of content, utilizing layouts and, you know, video content, you can't do it because it's an e-commerce website and it's there just to sell product and, you know, facet navigation. Um, Kev, you, you spoke there about you know, long, long, tails, long tail search terms and being able to drill right down. Everybody's implementation of facets would be different because the last thing you want to do is create these pages but then have no products. So we need to have a clear understanding of what your product mix is and how people purchase it. So the more detail, the better from a, a structure um, and a... And a, and, a, and a purpose the website's there to do a job <laughs> it, it, it has to be yeah i think 100 percent, andy those commercial goals for me are key you know too many too many projects around this get down a creative route or a technical route or somebody wants a website to have this function or that function or they want it to look this way or that way and they do just forget that it needs to serve a purpose for your business it needs to drive you know the top line of your business and drive commercial engagements so unless you keep sight of that kind of ultimate, you know, commercial goal, business objective, you know, this is just a vehicle to get you there. The bit in the middle is easy, you know, understanding where you're at and where you want to get to is the two key parts for us. The bit in the middle, you know, the process should take care of. Um, okay. And then Kev, I think the final point we want to look at is, you know, if you get the tech bit, the content right bit, we've got the index, the search engines ranking it. The final bit is those, those post live checks and monitoring kind of what are the key things that, once you push the button, um, you know, need to need to be done, need to be checked. Yeah, I think that's um, that's the bit that everyone seems to forget about. Everyone's off, you know, celebrating that the website's being launched and, you know, it looks great. It's fantastic. You know, you've got the directors looking at it going, oh, this is amazing. They start telling everybody. And then there's some, some SEO somewhere sweating going, oh, my God, they've done this. And I can't believe they've not done this. So I think, um, you know, reviewing the website regularly um in the days and weeks afterwards um you know first and foremost you know have you have you done the, the pre-launch checks that we did um in terms of you know letting google know on there um the, the purpose of the website is obviously to either attract inquiries or make sales. So, you know, keep checking your forms and your checkout process to see if it actually works. You know, there's nothing worse than someone launching a new website and then, you know, a key stakeholder going, how much money have we made on the new website? You're like, oh, um, actually, funnily enough, there's no orders come through. That's because the form's not working. Um, so checking out the, the forms, the checkout process, making sure that the website's doing what it's meant to be doing. Um, monitor your analytics, you know, making sure that your analytics is tracking correctly because ultimately if you're missing out on data, you can't make informed decisions. Um, it, check for those crawl errors with Screaming Frog, you know, keep checking to see if, um, you know, Google, um, Google can actually get into the right pages. Um, other things as well is, you know, making sure those redirects are actually working, you know, 
you've spent so long mapping them out. Don't just assume that they've been implemented correctly. Actually check them. Make sure that, you know, there's no there's not going to be any holes in that as well. Um, the other aspect as well as something that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, um, have you set up, you know, social media accounts if you've rebranded? Have you have you done those things? Have you done Google business profile setups? And fundamentally, have you actually told the PBC, the affiliate teams, paid teams and everything that you've actually just launched the website? So all that work that they've spent changing all of those ads and everything, they can push them live as well. Um, you know, you'd be surprised how many people don't tell people that the websites have actually gone live. Um, and then I think um, from sort of the dev side of things, Andy, there's a lot of other things that we do, like, you know, checking the, the security of the website, making sure everything's in place with that regard. Um and I think the one thing, one thing that I've glaringly um, left to last, which is the most important, is is the robots text file accessible? You know, it's all well and good that we've checked it on the launch and Google's getting in there. But if there's iterations being made of the website, if there's some slight changes being made of the website, it's very easy for a developer to just upload the old robots text file and get your website de-indexed again. So again, just continually checking things like that. Um, there's a little tool that we, we do recommend that you can use called Little Warden. Um, and this will do an automatic check every day for, for a robot's text change. It's key for when you're launching things and launching websites. Um, and again, that, that will just send you a little email if there's some changes on there. So, you know, there's there's lots of, lots of things that we would do, but just check, check, and just keep checking the website. Um, don't just, you know, leave it to, oh, by the way, can I have a monthly report? How's the website done? Uh, well, we haven't had analytics tracking in for 28 days, so I can't actually tell you. So, yeah, just check it every day if you can. And I think, uh, Valid, I think you can set up a lot of free alerts on Google Analytics. So, you know, if your yeah. traffic drops below 50% or 70%, if your if you're, if you're conversions, if, you know, if you don't get a conversion of this goal, which is your checkout goal, you know, within 24 hours, if you're used to getting 10 sales a day, set an alert for that. So set set these free tripwires up and Google will instantly alert you as soon as it spots any of these issues as well. But like you say, hopefully you're living and breathing it for that, that sort of post-launch period. Um, Andy and, and Kevin, there's one final question before we kind of wrap up, which was from uh, Ninka Davies. Um, Hi all, uh, our company's an old website that's still live. It doesn't interact with our existing website and we don't have any logins to amend the content. Should we try and take it down or leave as is? It's still getting traffic and all the contact details are still relevant. I suppose I'd, I'd always be worried about having two company websites, like just, just from a brand perspective, if you're not updating the content on that and the last news articles from 1999 you know, or 2010, it, it immediately looks bad and stale to anybody else that's visiting that website. And equally, you've kind of split your value. So from Google's perspective, this old website might have 100 links or 100 votes or have some authority in Google's eyes that you could be channeling into a new main website. So, you know, which would then make this more competitive to rank for, for more popular, higher searched keywords. So my personal advice, I think, guys, would be to take that down and, and redirect that site into the new one as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think just to kind of on top of that as well, Brett, I think, yes, from a brand perspective, you know, we want, don't make any confusion. Let People should know where to go. Um, and if that's where you're up to date, that's where you're presenting yourself the best. That's where they should go. Second, on top of that, oh, Brett, it's a security aspect. You know, one of the biggest security risks is outdated websites. And if you leave tech over there, getting out of date, because 
out-of-date websites create vulnerabilities. So if that's sat there and it's getting older and it's getting older, it's at more and more at risk. So I would decommission it immediately. Get the stuff, get the URLs um, migrated correctly with an SEO. And I mean, Brett, we've, we've migrated multiple websites into one before and seen huge impact off the back of it because the value it can pass in your authority from the domain. So, you know, you could see a huge increase in visibility from that as well. So it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a win-win situation for me, uh, Ninka, if I'm honest. Yeah, two and two can very easily become five. I know, Kev, again, we've worked with lots of businesses where they've they've had this microsite strategy and they've had 12 mini websites. Actually, pooling all that value into one super site often drives far bigger results than what the 10 mini sites could kind of drive individually. Would you agree, Kev? Yeah, definitely. I think it's almost like you're sat, you're sat there with sleeping giants, you know, the... the you've you've got you've got links to these websites and if you haven't what was the point in them in the first place do you know what i mean so um yeah definitely in in your instance ninga i would um look to see if you can um if you don't already have access to to the domain um you know try and get access to the cms behind it if you can't get any access to the cms you know the agency might have gone out of business or something like that there's a hosting website you know sorry hosting a company hosting that old website and that old domain and all you basically need to do is get a hold of that uh, that domain access and then you can move you can you can do a lot from from that so i wouldn't worry if you can't get into the cms there's other stuff you could do um but yeah just get in touch and we'll be able to possibly have a look at that for you awesome brilliant well i'm conscious of time we've uh, we've overran and and so yeah so so i suppose for me um, key takeaways, you know, plan effectively and over communicate every key stakeholder who's involved, make sure they're involved at least at the start of the process and, and key points throughout. Um, place huge focus on your content and not just your existing content, but that new content, those content gaps. The, the, this is an opportunity to, to re-architecture your site structure, like to capture those missed searches and missed opportunities your current site doesn't have. So, so use it for that. I think you know, technical changes and implementations are absolutely critical. And one or two of these that aren't done correctly could really hurt your business and not just hurt it for now, but, but hurt the past decade or two decades of investment. So make sure you get those tech bits right and make sure you consult an SEO expert before migrating any any website, however large or small. I think, you know, don't forget to tell the search engines you've moved. You know, this is a key part. You know, it, it won't know, you know, on its own. And that goes for Bing and Google and anywhere else for that matter internationally. Um, you know, make sure you're proactively telling them that you've you've launched a new part of your website. Use Google Search Console, you know, upload your new XML sitemaps. Make it as easy as possible for the search engines to index your new site as fast as possible. Um, and don't take for granted that index everything just because you've created it. Um, and then finally, you know, make sure you, you you don't just launch it and then you know go on to the next project. Make sure you keep an eye on it. You know, you run your post live checks. You know, you set up your Google Analytics alerts. You look for any spikes or trends or drops to try and spot any problems as early as possible to avoid any any potential disasters. But I think if you do all of those things. Um, correctly, then things should run smoothly and hopefully no one's going to have any sleepless nights tonight who's about to launch a website and hasn't done any of that. Um, but if you have, give us a ring and we're here and we'd love to help, as Kev said. Um, so yeah, so thank you very much to everybody who participated today. We'll be sending around a podcast after this. So please feel free to share that around anybody else in your organizations or anybody you think would benefit from this. And um, yeah, thanks Kev. Thanks Andy. Thank you everybody. And cheers yeah, to all cheers the participants. Well. And um, yeah, we'll hopefully see you next Tuesday for the next uh, drop in 11.30. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Cheers.
See you later.